This is what it's about to just lower the barriers and and create an equal playing field. We are not trying to prioritize or make it you know, easier for somebody compared to others. We are just trying to equalize the playing field so that everyone starts at the same level. Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators, brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Hey there, this is the third season of the Mostly Awesome podcast where we explore the personal journeys of changemakers, doers, and innovators with foreign roots. And we are your hosts, Keke and Maria. And we are very excited to kick off this season today. In our first episode, we are talking to Dr. Sophie Chan, CEO and founder of a Berlin-based startup called Kuna Medical. Kuna Medical is a digital health platform that intends to help people get access to more affordable, better, and faster healthcare globally. Sophie is an entrepreneur with at least two hearts. She grew up in Austria with parents originally coming from Southeast Asia. Having such a cultural background, Sophie had a great exposure to both Western and Eastern types of medicine, which actually sparked her interest to pursue medical studies at university and even compare those approaches. Sophie's personal journey isn't linear or predictable by any stretch of the imagination. After getting a doctoral degree from the Medical University of Vienna, she decided to switch gears and try out herself at McKinsey. Having worked there for five years, she made the next step towards founding a company. Sophie moved to New York, where she worked in a health tech startup. Soon after, she got a chance to start her own startup in the digital healthcare space called CUNA Medical. And, you know, it turned out that the best location to do so was in Berlin. Zero one, New York. Today, Sophie is not only working towards making healthcare more affordable globally, but she is also mentoring tech entrepreneurs and young professionals with immigrant backgrounds, like herself. Before we dive deeper into our conversation with Sophie, let me give you a quick overview of what we talked about. First, Sophie talked about her motivation to study medicine, work in consulting, and told us how she made her major career decisions. Then we learned more about her founding story, why she decided to found in Germany versus in the States, and what is her mission with CUNO Medical. Lastly, Sophie shared her personal story of growing up in a family that has immigrated from Cambodia and has rebuilt their lives in Europe. We discussed how the environment in which people grow up in defines their starting point for success, and what is she doing personally to lower these barriers and create an equal playing field for all. So let's get started with the episode. Welcome, Sophie. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Looking at your personal journey, Keke and I both thought this is not a path that looks predictable or linear in any way. You've tried many different things up until now medicine, philosophy, consulting, entrepreneurship, mentoring, and you always went big on those trials, like with consulting. You didn't just test the waters in consulting, you worked at McKinsey for five years. Could you tell us a bit more about how did you make those decisions of drastic changes? And did they even seem drastic to you at the time? Well, uh, that's a very good question. I think for me, I never was a afraid of making drastic changes because I've always been curious by nature. So if you would show me something that I didn't know and was unknown, 
I would rather get excited about it rather than get anxious about it. And that is something that you can see in my, in my private life, but also in my professional life. So as you said, I started off as a doctor, I studied medicine, I was in stem cell research. And usually when you're you know, going down that path, you at one point become um, a professional doctor and attending, you become an academic, maybe a professor, and it's very linear and it's very predictive or predictable in terms of where you go. But two things that I think led me to building a more alternative profession is what I just said is number one, the drive and the curiosity to learn and experience new things outside of my comfort zone. And number two, seeing and grasping the opportunities as they come. Because I feel like, you know, all of us could have these types of journeys and professional paths. It's not like I did something super special, but I think what I did differently to many other people is to see the opportunities when they come, when they're being offered to me, when there's something that I could tap into and would not, you know, look twice or three times, but rather jump into it and see what happens afterwards. Sounds really uh, inspiring, especially for those who just started their journeys. Looking back at your experience from the medical studies to McKinsey to being a startup founder, what were the biggest turning points for you, both personally and professionally? And what were the biggest learnings from that experience? Well, I think one turning point for me personally was when I graduated medical school. You know, when you go through medical school, as you could imagine, it's very tough, it's very hard, you have to study a lot, it takes a lot of years to graduate, you have to work a lot, it's like, it's very tedious. And, you know, during those times, I was like, I need to graduate. Like, my, my life goal was to get through this, survive this, and graduate med school. And when I finally did, I feel like it just set me free. I was like, okay, I have, I've checked this off my list. This is like the big, basically back then it was the biggest milestone in my life that I have achieved. And I think, you know, it really freed up my mind to say, okay, and what now and what's next? And I think that was one of the turning points in my life to say, okay, and now I'm ready to kind of enter professional life and the burden and all the pressure that I had on me during all these years of studies went away. And that was, that was, a, and still is a very, very nice feeling. I think that was one. The second turning point was when during my medical studies, I decided to do an internship at McKinsey. And this is how I got into it. Um, basically, you know, I was looking for a place to work in my summer holidays vacation where I could make decent money and don't have to be a waiter or a waitress and nothing against, you know, being a waitress. I've done that, been there, all of that. But, you know, the year before graduating med school, I was like, maybe I can find something where I can actually use my brain to, to make some money. So I ended up doing an internship at McKinsey. And I think that was the second turning point, because if I hadn't done the internship, I would have probably never actually then received an offer from McKinsey and then joined uh, management consulting. I think that was the second turning point. And then I think the, the last turning point was, so fast forward, I left McKinsey, I, I moved to New York and joined a startup there. And there was this one moment where kind of all the stars have aligned and, you know, I, I had, I, I was in New York for almost three years already. I was not quite ready to leave, but you know, of course you then start thinking about, okay, what's next? Number one, number two, I kind of had this itching idea of creating this medical platform that would help people find the right doctor. And that never left my, my mind. And thirdly, basically I came across an investor from, from Berlin who really liked the idea and was like, 
if you want to start this company or if you were to pursue that, we would like to invest in that company. So, you know, all of those things were there and I was like, holy shit, like, you know, what else could there be other than time for me to actually do the next step and jump right into it? And I think those are kind of the big turning points. But of course, there were many, many smaller ones throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, we will definitely dive deeper into your third turning point, your company. But before that, you described in your very first turning point, this medical school and how much commitment it was and how tedious it was. And so we were wondering, what was your main motivation to go into medicine, knowing that it was such a big commitment? It can be very stressful, like you described. What was the main reason that you got into it? And is the reason still the same? Uh, or has mm -hmm. it changed over time? I think it sounds cheesy, but I've always wanted to become a doctor since I was a little girl. And mm -hmm. I think, of course, partly was probably also infused by my parents. My mom comes from a medical family. You know, I have Asian parents, so they are known for valuing medical professions a lot. But also, I always had this, this curiosity for, for science, even as a little kid already. I remember I... You know, I had two microscopes, one for like really tiny kids, but at one point I grew out of that microscope. And then I, I, I wanted another, like almost a professional one for Christmas and, and, and my parents would buy me one and I would like put everything under that microscope because I was just so fascinated by, you know, by things that were going on. So I think there was, a, it was a good combination of a little bit of bias from my parents probably, but you know, I have a, a brother who went into business school, so it wasn't like indoctrinated, but probably a little bit of that and just my deep deep interest for science and understanding things that were going on and I think 30 and I think this here in this podcast it's the first time I'm openly admitting it but I think I have a little bit of a helper syndrome as well I just like to help people and I just like to make people happy not you know in a in a pathological way but I just you know, when I see a problem, I just want to go and solve it. And especially when it has to do with people. And I think the combination of that just, you know, drove me into med school and made me, yeah, very much, despite all the hard work and everything, very much enjoyed, you know, learning and, and, and going through that experience. Yeah, I actually think now that you said it, I have like a syndrome as if kind of a problem, I feel like people in your position uh, need to have this syndrome <laughs> a little bit <laughs> to actually be successful in what you do. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So within your studies, you focused on traditional Chinese medicine and comparing that to the Western medicine. And actually, our audience asked this question and was wondering if you could tell us more about these approaches and whether you think mm -hmm. that both of them can work together in practice. Yeah, definitely. So just to be clear, I, I studied medicine and that was Western medicine and my Chinese or oh, my, my studies for traditional Chinese medicine was part of my philosophy studies because I also mm -hmm. studied um, philosophy of science or mm -hmm. I studied philosophy and focused on philosophy of science. And as part of that, I looked into traditional Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. And so what really fascinated me was that there is a different medical system, which is traditional Chinese medicine, which has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And that works completely different to Western medicine. And, you know, and the way traditional Chinese medicine is discussed in the Western world, in the Western scientific world, it's being portrayed as something that's, that's less 
good or it's being portrayed as something that's less scientific and less or, or more esoteric and oftentimes people mix it up with homeopathy and you know things like these and that was something that again really sparked my curiosity so I started looking into this and and also I mentioned you know my family has a history and I come partially from Chinese origin and my grandfather was a Chinese doctor and those are things that were were not new to me, the principles of traditional Chinese medicine, or TCM, how people call it. So I really wanted to get to the ground of this on whether, you know, this is something that is reliable as a medical system or not. And what I found was that that there are different scientific um, systems, just like in Western medicine, like system theory, right? And that traditional Chinese medicine is a fully scientific system in itself based on its own paradigms. And without going into it, I could talk for hours about this, but really what was fascinating was that you had this fully fledged medical system that is based on its own paradigms and it works. Can they be combined? Absolutely. They, they can be combined as two distinct systems next to each other, but they shouldn't be mixed. So what I mean by that is, so for example, if you diagnose a disease in the Western medical world, what a lot of people then do is they use traditional Chinese medical methods to treat that disease. But then all of a sudden you mix diagnostics and therapy of two different medical systems. And this is where it breaks. And this is why, you know, a lot of studies break because they don't respect the paradigms of the scientific systems. But as, as, as long as you can keep the integrity of it, it can, it can work really nicely and they have their strengths and weaknesses in both sides. So I think, you know, Western medicine is really, really good at, at, at treating very linear diseases. So, you know, you have a problem, you can track down the bacteria, or you can track down the cause and then you're attacking or you're fixing the cause right away and then it's gone. So an example for that is a bacterial infection. You take antibiotics and the bacteria is gone. Or when you break a leg, you get surgery, you get your screws into the leg and, you know, your leg is fixed. So Western medicine is really, really good at that. What traditional Chinese medicine is good at is systemic views. So in traditional Chinese medicine, you are always talking about disharmonies, like something is out of harmony, something is off, and then you're fixing the whole system. And, you know, fact is that we as human beings, we are a systemic being basically. So in traditional Chinese medicine, for example, you don't have the difference between mental illnesses and physical illnesses because you look at the whole human being and the whole human body as a whole. So you don't have this, you know, this distinction. So it makes it very, very interesting to be able to treat more chronic diseases, more systemic things. And I think, you know, that there can be a lot of value if we would just take the best out of both healthcare systems and make use of it. Yeah, definitely. Also, as a psychologist, I see the value of thinking about this holistic overview of, of what, what your body is yeah. doing and why, rather than just treating one body part at a time. Great. Thanks for um, clarifying the distinction and also <laughs> expressing your views on that. How do you personally combine these two, these two practices, these two approaches? How do they come together in your personal life? So in my personal life, they come together very nicely because I can, I actually live what I just said. I just take the best out of both worlds. If I feel like I have a bacterial infection, I will go to the pharmacy and get antibiotics for myself. But if I feel like, you know, my body has a little bit too much heat, I will eat something that's cooling, right? And there are nutrition uh, or there are foods that are labeled or that uh, are understood as more cooling for your body 
really for me it's very natural to just go like okay what's my problem and what do i think the solution is so in my private life and my personal life that's very clear nice then this actually marks the end of the first block about your personal journey and now we want to learn more about your experiences in the digital healthcare uh, space and specifically about your startup Cuno Medical so we will move towards the next block so Sophie you are a founder and a CEO of Cuno Medical which is a digital health platform that intends to help people get access to more affordable and better and faster healthcare globally, worldwide. And you came a long way from the US to Germany to found this company and pursue this mission. And we will ask you about Kinomedical itself a bit later, but first we want to know why found this company in Germany and not in the States. So I lived in the States and I decided to come back to Berlin because of many reasons. First of all, it was clear that Cuno Medical is going to be a global platform. We have patients from over two different countries try to find the right doctor on our platform. So it doesn't, I, I feel like it doesn't really matter where we are because we are building for a global audience anyways. It's not like, you know, we come to Germany to build for a German audience or we go to the US and build for a US audience. So kind of that geo geographical match didn't have to happen for our product because we were building a global product from day one. So there were other factors or criteria that mattered for me to come to Berlin. And that was, first of all, cost. Uh, you know, I, I used to live in New York and New York is just three times as expensive as Berlin in terms of rent, wages, cost of living generally, and all of that. So I knew that if I was to raise a certain amount of money, I could either burn it in a very expensive place like New York, or I could take that money and spend it in a less expensive place and basically get three times more out of it. And so for me, it was a very pragmatic decision to, to, to not stay in New York. So that was one reason. The second reason was talent. I knew that, you know, of course I needed the best talent to join my company, to build the product with me. The war for talent in New York is insane. And again, very expensive. And I knew that Europe has amazing talent as well, and especially Berlin, because everyone wants to come and move to Berlin from all over Europe and even beyond. So for me, it was really, I, I needed the place where I could find enough talent and wouldn't be in this immensely large war for talent. Although I have to say, you know, the, the war for talent in Berlin is, is pretty intense or has gained in intensity as, as, as well. And number three, personal reasons, I just you know, I just enjoy living in Europe more than in the US for a longer time. And I knew that if I was to start a company, I can't just pack my stuff and leave. So I wanted to be in a place where I knew I could, you know, stay for longer or even grow old. And so actually, there's a, it's not a secret that healthcare in the US is not yet equally accessible to everyone, like in Germany. When you started your company in Germany with a global mission, did you ever felt disconnected from the pain problems that you try to address? Not really, because I've, so first of all, access to healthcare is, is, there's no equality anywhere in the world. It's just less of a gap or less of a problem in places like Germany and a much bigger, more prolific problem in places like the US, but also in Germany, you, you know, have different problems with different places and, 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 and patients getting access to care but i think the main advantage for me was that i 
come from medicine and I've seen hospitals from the inside you know more than a thousand times and I have worked as a doctor and I've treated patients in many different places so it in the end it doesn't really matter how kind of where the patients come from as long as you solve their problem and that's how I looked at it it's like you know access to care is a universal problem no matter whether you live in Germany or in the US. And I wanted to solve that problem for every patient. I wanted to find an, a universal solution where patients could go to and be helped. And for that, it didn't make a big difference for me in which healthcare system I was living because the feeling and the problem of when you need the right doctor, of when you need the right care and you don't know what to do and you feel like you are stuck is the same anywhere. Hmm. And as a patient or a healthcare seeker yourself, what was your biggest pain point before you decided to found CUNA Medical? My biggest pain point was that nobody really asked what the patient wants. When you look at the healthcare system and when you look at all the stakeholders, you have pharma companies, you have insurance companies, you have, you have politicians, you have hospitals, right? And all of them have kind of their own interests and all of them claim that they do everything for the patient, but they don't because they have their own interests and oftentimes they're economic or commercially driven. But nobody really thinks from the perspective of patients say, okay, how can we create a patient journey that is worthy of a patient, that a patient actually deserves? What does a patient actually need in order to make the right decisions, in order to come out of that journey better than he or she went into this before? And how can we all align as stakeholders in this healthcare system to make this work? Nobody really asks it. The patient comes last in the macro view of things, but also the, the micro view of things when you actually go into the hospital and see how patients are being treated. And I know I'm being mean right now, and I know I, I'm generalizing a lot, but really that's kind of the common notion that you see in healthcare that, you know, I've seen so many patients who weren't treated the right way, and not just medically, but kind of personally in a humane way, I've seen patients who went, didn't get the explanation they needed in order to make a decision. I've seen patients who were pressured into, into treatment. They didn't think they needed, but they, there was no better way for them to express themselves. I've seen patients who had to wait for eight, nine, 10 hours in order to be seen uh, by a doctor. And that's not even the worst. And, you know, so for me, it was really like, this can't be it. This, you know, healthcare should be built around the patient's interest and everyone deserves the best healthcare in the world and there shouldn't be different classes and your healthcare outcome shouldn't be defined by where you live or how much money you have. Your healthcare outcome should be defined by your own conditions and your own characteristics. And that's that's the major pain point I, I was I've always been trying to solve and that's my, my current quest. Correct, yeah. Politicians are partly responsible for how the healthcare works and how the patients are treated. So what kind of impact or influence do you think that the results of the current elections will have on the healthcare system and on whether the patient comes first, last, in the middle, or is somewhere lost mm -hmm. between? Honestly, sadly, I don't think it will have much impact. I think the players, no, no matter whether it's the CDU or SPD, who are the biggest parties in this country, they've been they've been in the government forever. I mean, if they haven't done anything up until now, why would they change it? I think when you look at the smaller parties, the FDP and the Green Party, I haven't seen much on the agenda. I don't think this is, this is kind of in, in, in their scope at the moment. So sadly, I don't think politics is going to do anything. And that's why I think startups and technology comes in. I think true disruption for an industry will come from the outside. It will not 
be driven by politicians. It will not be driven by the system. It will be driven by something that comes out of the system. And if we are serious about really improving and fundamentally change things about healthcare, we need to foster, we need to make it easier to start startups, to get more founders, to crack the problems, especially in healthcare. I think the solutions will come from startups, they will come from technology companies, and it, uh, they will come from outside of the system. Totally agree. If political system cannot address the systemic problems, then tech entrepreneurship can actually come in. Could you tell us about how did you come up with the idea of founding Kina Medical to address this systemic global problem? <laughs> yeah, so uh, my founding ideation story is a kind of is a, more of an evolutionary story. So it wasn't a light bulb moment. I wasn't like, you know, uh, locking myself up in the dark room and brainstorming and then from one second to the other, I was like, that's it. But what I, you know, to, referring to what I said before, I was always upset about the way patients are treated. And I was always upset about the way patients were supposed to make decisions for themselves or their loved ones, but they didn't have the information and the fact base and weren't empowered to make these decisions. And I feel like that's the worst thing, right? Like if you needed to make a decision, but you don't know what to choose and how, and you don't have the transparency and you just make a decision just based on your gut. And it's about your health. It's not about buying chocolate or so, right? Like it's, it's, it, it's fundamental to the core of who you are and what you love and, and your life. I feel like this is one of the worst feelings you can put somebody in, into. So that was kind of the, the part that I've always been upset about in the healthcare system. And out of that, the motivation came to think of solutions that could change that. And there are many things that you can do. My way was to say, let's create more transparency into the market and le let's unlock the people from their local healthcare systems if they are stuck in there. And let's, you know, bring consumerism to healthcare. Like, why, why do we have great customer service everywhere we go, except for healthcare? <laughs> like, why is that? Why can't we be friendly to patients when they are in need? And let's make this more efficient, use technology and data to actually do that. And, you know, all of, all of these thoughts led to saying, okay, let's, you know what? I think I need to create this platform, which is global, mm -hmm. which can serve all patients, which can serve all treatment categories and which works independently of any healthcare system. And you can imagine when I came up with the, with that idea, everyone's like, you're crazy. Like, how is that going to work? And this is too big. But for me, it was so clear to, to go for that. And yeah, to this idea, I arrived through years and years and years of thinking about how I could solve that. Well, idea actually really sounds impossible but you are making this happen. My next question would be about medical tourism. Coming from Georgia, I, I know that this is a big thing because there, for example, surgeries that cannot be even done in Georgia. So people are in need of find a doctor somewhere else to get the treatment there. So what are the reasons for the need for this medical tourism so much? And how affordable is this for an average citizen uh, all around the world? 
So at QNO Medical, we say we are solving the trifecta of healthcare problems, cost, quality, and wait time. And what you just described mm -hmm. from Georgia, it's more the quality bucket, right? Like you're looking for higher quality care, therefore you're looking to, to find a different doctor, perhaps abroad. Mm -hmm. There is a large cost-driven bucket as well for a lot of people in the world, in the US, as we discussed, or but also in Germany, certain treatments are inaccessible because they're too expensive. And, and, and the third bucket is wait time, you know, capacity, healthcare capacity, and especially when you look at, you know, what happened during corona is a problem and will only increase the the nice thing is that all these three problems can be solved with the same solution which we're building at Kino medical but really you know for a lot of patients it's about getting high quality care and affordable price and the nice thing about healthcare is that cost and quality don't correlate so only because you have to pay a lot for something doesn't mean that you're getting better mm. outcome look, look at the us they're expensive mm. not so good mm. outcomes and that's kind of what we what we make use of and leverage on our platform because we can basically direct you to the highest quality doctors at an affordable price and the lowest waiting time so basically creating a best case scenario for every patient Mm -hmm. Have you at some point considered having the approach of uh, social entrepreneurship? Because to me, like the vision uh, of making healthcare accessible worldwide has this social entrepreneurship ring to it. So I'm just wondering if that has been uh, part of the decision making process for you before. Briefly. <laughs> But for me, it was very clear and I also, you know, I'm okay with openly admitting it that I have a, a small capitalist heart beating in my chest. And I've always been of the opinion that you can build something with high social impact and at the same time being commercially very successful as well. And that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's the case I'm here for. I want to build a highly successful company at a high valuation with a lot of value and having a lot of social impact in, in doing what I do. And to me, it doesn't really contradict itself. And that's mm. what makes it very interesting for me. I, I used to work at, at an NGO um, in, in, in my earlier days and all of that. And I think that's just a different way how you want to help and a different way how you want to kind of have impact. For me, I wanted to create something that would, yeah, that, that would commercially be very uh, successful and at the same time has immense impact in in, in society as well. Yeah, Thank, thanks a lot for the honest answer. In, in one of your lectures or presentations, you mentioned that KinoMedical actually doesn't charge patients, but doctors and hospitals that are listed on the platform. And it seems like it creates incentives for a business to focus more on health insurance, doctors and hospitals. But at the same time, we stumbled upon Kino Medical Quality Pledge, and one of them is putting patients first. What does patients first approach mean to you? Mm -hmm. And what are the concrete steps that you, you take at Kino Medical to put this approach in practice? So patients first is our highest company value. And, you know, we use it every single time we can use it. You hear it almost daily, on a daily basis uh, when working at CUNA. And I think that's really, really important. As you said, you know, there are many stakeholders in the healthcare system. If you build a product, you might be tempted to cater to more powerful kind of a stakeholders rather than the patient. But that wasn't the reason why I started CUNA Medical. I wanted to, I wanted to inverse that power play. So I think it's in our DNA, in, it's in our DNA to 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 not do that but again you know it can be very tempting and it, the, the lines are blurry it's not it's oftentimes it's not black and white so we have provisions in place to 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 keep us honest to our highest value first of all have that value and communicate that and live that secondly it's part of 
making our business successful. If we're not patients first, patients will not use our product. Patients will not love our product. And if we don't have patients on our platform, doctors will not use our platform because doctors are using the platform because we have patients. So in the end, you know, it's in our business interest as well to make patients as happy to bring the best service to our patients because otherwise our business has no no right to exist or has no you know no 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 path to success here so in the end i think it's fully aligned you might you know you said it might not be aligned at first sight but and and that's exactly the the case at first sight it might not be aligned where you say okay sophie you say you serve the patients but the doctors pay you but yes, why do the doctors pay us? It's because we have the patients and we keep them on our platform and, you know, they seek us for help. And therefore, I think, you know, from from a values perspective, it's fully aligned with our business um, objectives as well to build a patient's first product. What is the hardest part about being a founder in the digital healthcare space for you? What's the hardest part? There are many hard things of being a founder in digital health space. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I think the hardest part is managing the present and the future at the same time. That hasn't, that is not specific to digital health, but you know, as a founder, you have to manage what's happening today and tomorrow. But at the same time, you also have to have to have the foresight of what's going to happen in six months from now, in 12 months from now, in five years from now. And of course, you know, the, the longer the time frame, the, the fuzzier it gets. But mm. just as an example, you, you can only imagine, you know, during the pandemic when it broke out and you know, nobody really knew what the future would, would bring. And still everyone looks at you and is looking at you for answers. And I feel like that's probably the biggest challenge to kind of manage them at the same time and provide answers even in times where you don't know. And what I don't mean by that is, you know, kind of providing answers or, or making up answers, but really also being genuine and honest and saying, I don't know. I can tell you what I think is going to happen, or I can tell you what is possible or likely, but really, I don't know. Yes, indeed, uh, hard to balance present and future and in terms of a lot of uncertainty. Actually, we added pivot towards the next block. Diversity in the startup ecosystem is a huge topic right now with a lot of hopes for improvements in the future. And we would like to delve deeper into this theme in our next block. Coming back to Western versus Eastern medicine, it seems like this also represents your two hearts or even two minds experiences quite well. You grew up in Austria and your parents are from Southeast Asia. With such a diverse cultural background, you recently joined the Two Hearts community as a mentor. So for those of you who don't know, Two Hearts is a community of tech entrepreneurs and innovators with immigration backgrounds. Sophie, could you tell us about your motivation to join and even take up a mentorship role in this community? Absolutely. So Two Hearts was founded almost precisely a year ago, I think. So it's a very young movement, a very young community and group by two founders. All of them are rooted in the German tech industry. Some of them I know quite well. And when one of them, Iskanda, reached out to me and said, hey, we're starting this community, we're calling it Two Hearts, and here these are the values, and I can only invite everyone to 
to Google two hearts, it's number two and then hearts, and go onto the website and really read about it, there was no question for me to, to join that group. It was about, you know, struggling with the two hearts that you have, growing up, not knowing where you belong, sometimes being at, at a disadvantage because you were, you, people would underestimate you or you didn't have access to the right networks and all of these things. So, you know, I read through this and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is my story. And so I think does everyone who reads through kind of the mission statement of what Two Hearts does. And I think this is kind of the, the, the strong bond that this community has, that despite the diverse backgrounds of people who you know come from all places of this world, we still have made very similar experiences as immigrants growing up somewhere, as being the minority. And today we can look back and can say we've made it. We you know belong to the success stories and we belong to the successful ones. But also we know that we didn't made it by ourselves and we know that you know, along the way, there were always people who were there at the right time, saying the right thing, doing the right thing for us and taking our hands from time to time. And oftentimes it was pure luck or coincidence that this person was there. And I think for the Two Hearts community, we just want to proliferate that and we don't want this to be coincidence or luck anymore. We want to institutionalize it and we want to make this the most powerful network for people in tech and really also help people who want to get into tech to gain access and you know join a very strong powerful network because in the end you won't walk your way alone you will always have people along the way to help you to be there to give you the right advice and you need access to it to be successful yeah exactly and you you mentioned that when you were reading this description of two hearts, you're like, oh, like this is really me. Like, there's not even a question that I'm going to do this. To what extent uh, do you identify with the limitations that people with immigrant backgrounds have in this tech industry? What are the things that really speak to you? And also, what are the things that more commonly come up uh, in your uh, conversations with your mentees? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, one thing that became very clear over time was that growing up i didn't learn a lot of things that other people have learned in different types of households you know i grew up in a very fortunate situation my my parents were both refugees they are quite educated my dad is a software engineer my 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 mom is a a, a technician in in a blood diagnostics lab so you know they they were quite educated in in what they did but at the same time i didn't have access to to a lot of knowledge that other people would just get from their home by sitting at the dinner table and talking to their moms and dads about politics, about different regulations, about stock market, about investing your money, things like these. And again, it's just because, you know, my parents grew up in a completely different society in Cambodia and they came to Austria and they had to rebuild everything themselves. So they are kind of implants into, into a society. And that does something to you because you start your career with very different preconditions. You start with much less knowledge. You start with much less access to networks. My dad didn't have a lawyer friend he could call if I had a question or, you know, something like that. And those are things that puts you at a disadvantage and you have to, of course you can catch up. And that's what we all did. We caught up on this through hard work, through persistence, through everything. But a lot of people, kind of drop along the way 
and could have been successful as well because it was maybe too hard. And I think this is this is what it's about to just you know lower the barriers and and create an equal playing field. We are not trying to prioritize or make it you know easier for somebody compared to others. We are just trying to equalize the playing field so that everyone starts at the same level. Yeah, great. I can also imagine how those experiences and reflection about those experiences helps you in your uh, mentorship relationship and being an effective uh, mentor to others. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sure that's the case. Coming back to your nonlinear career path, uh, were there any mentors on your way that helped you in your decision-making process and to be where you are right mm -hmm. now? So I have to say, I, I have never had this one mentor person, personality, or these one or two mentor people I would turn to throughout my whole career. I know other people have that, but I don't. And I think it just didn't happen. But also I have to admit, I'm, I'm an introvert. So I'm, you know, for me, it's really, really tough to build long lasting, meaningful connections, especially at the beginning where you have to put yourself out there, where you have to be very open in communicating and things like these. And it just goes a little bit against my nature. And I know that's also kind of, you know, I don't want to say a weakness, but like a place where I want to also get better at. But I've always had people along the way who were there when I quote unquote needed them and gave me the advice. And this, you know, this was in school where I had my chemistry teacher who pushed me into chemistry Olympics because she believed in me and said, hey, you have to you have to compete. And I was like, I don't I don't want to do that. And she's like, no, 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 I'm going to sign you up. I'm going to make you compete. There. And she did that while she was on maternity leave, right? Like she called into the school and she forced me to do that. So it starts in school. But also when I was in university, the, the way I got into philosophy and philosophy of science was because one of my professors in Chinese studies, she is like, wow, you know, this is you study medicine and you study Chinese. I should introduce you to that professor at, at the Institute of, of Philosophy because you should be speaking to him. And so there were always people who were kind of pushing me into the right directions. And what I did was I followed. I never said no. I almost I, I said yes to almost every opportunity that was offered to me. And I feel like, yes, you have to do the work, but you also have to have the people who kind of open the doors for you, but you, you have to be the one who walks through. Yeah, definitely. I also read a very interesting article about this recently, that it's not about having one mentor, mm -hmm. but it's about having these people around because you need different people for different things. And there's no one person who's going to have all these answers or guidance to nudge you in the di right direction. So just having a good combination of people around you that do that for you is really important. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot. So this would be the end of our uh, third block. And we are now moving into our last section, which is our toolbox, uh, where we ask quick questions about your favorite book, app, podcast, routine, and an innovator with Foreign Roots. So it's like a blitz interview. So if you're ready, we can jump right into it. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> All right, then a book that everybody should read. How to influence people and make friends or how to make friends and influence people. I always mix it up, but that's the book everyone should read. Great. Then an app that everybody should download. Not sophisticated, but I think Instagram is pretty good. Why, why do you think so? I know Instagram is being discussed very critically, but I think it, so to me personally, it gives me a lot of inspiration and it gives me a channel to communicate to a lot of people. And I feel like net net, it does more good than bad, but I know a lot of people might disagree with it. I just really like it as a communication channel to keep in touch with people. 
-hmm. a podcast that you love listening to? So it's a German podcast. It's called Rice and Shine. So rice like the food, rice and shine. It's by two German Vietnamese journalists who grew up in Germany and they talk about you know, diversity, they talk about their histories of growing up in Germany and things like these, and they do it in a very quirky, in a very funny way. Um, so I think that, that's the one I, I love listening to. Nice and clever name of a podcast. Is there a routine that you follow? So I have to say I have a one and a half year old daughter now. And since I have my daughter, there is no routine as, other than kind of trying to kind of keep, keep sanity around her routines. So her routines became my routines. But before that, uh, I did have my routines and I, I made sure to wake up early. I made sure to work out. It could be, you know, boxing or high intensity or swimming, things like these in the morning, get it out of, out of the way. I made sure to have healthy food and this is something I still make sure to have fresh, healthy food. I sometimes, of course, you know, I have my weekdays and I go for junk food, but I think it's very, very important to keep your nutrition. And one kind of ritual I have is the way I get ready in the morning and, and for bed. And it's kind of, you know, a, a, a me time thing where I follow a five, six step Korean skincare routine. <laughs> and about that something is not because I'm so vain, but I just like to have something in place. And those are kind of the, the, the little things I have, I have during my day. Great. Innovator with immigration background that everybody should know about. Wow, with immigration background. So I, I have a crush on Leonardo da Vinci. I don't think he has an immigration background. Maybe he does. I don't know. But I think he is one of the greatest innovators in humankind when you, you know, start reading about him, what he did back in the days. The innovator I would list as with immigration background would be Marie Curie. I think this woman is just amazing. The first woman to win two Nobel Prizes you know, to the one to bring radioactivity into, into the scientific world and all of that. And also when you read up on how she actually left Poland to go to France and things, I think she, she's, she's a badass. Totally agree. Sophie, thank you so much for this tip. Before we wrap it up, one last question to you. In the previous season, we started a tradition of asking questions from guests in our virtual studio to the following ones. <laughs> And you are the first one of this season to ask our next guest, Aviz Shafiq. Aviz has a background in AI for medicine and electrical engineering. He is originally from Pakistan, and in 2019, he co-founded a company in Munich called Precise. They aim at reducing patient returns by providing an AI-powered software solution to accurately assess body measurements. Do you have any questions for him that we could take from this call right into the next one. <laughs> okay, so I want to try a very personal question. Maybe he's not going to answer it, but I'd like to ask, what was your darkest moment and how did you get out of it? Oh, wow. Already can't wait to hear the answer. <laughs> nice. Thanks a lot for the question and the conversation. I think this turned out to be a very insightful, inspiring and also educational episode. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me and I had a lot of fun and you had a lot of challenging questions, so I hope I was able to answer them all. <laughs> this season of Mostly Awesome Podcast is brought to you by CDTM, Center for Digital Technology and Management. This episode is a product of great teamwork together with Srajit Sakuja, Anne-Christine Ga, Julia Kozlovskaya and Miriam Schmidt. If you like our podcast and you would like to support our work, 
please rate us on the platform you're listening on and tell your friends who might be interested in topics we discuss about Mostly Awesome. We'd like to invite inspiring guests with diverse cultural backgrounds to our podcast. Our inbox, podcast at cdtm.de, is open for warm intros. Thanks for tuning in. See you in two weeks. <laughs>